0: Do you have any relationship with Pat Toomey? Because I sort of, I sort of lumped those two races together for him in 04 and you in 06.
1: Pat Toomey, who was from Providence, Rhode Island, exactly my I didn't age. know that. Went to La High School. I didn't know Went to the Club for Growth uh, came along, endorsed me. He ran the Club for Growth in 06 After he was a congressman, before he was a U.S. Mike, senator, right? and we became friends. But he wrote the article in the Wall Street Journal, first skirmish skirmish, in a very long war.
2: Welcome to Politics is Everything. I'm Kara Ong-Whaley. We're delighted to have with us Steve Laffey, who is a two-term former mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, a financial expert, and he's running for president in 2024. He's also been a university professor, and he's also a Harvard business graduate. When he was mayor of Cranston, the city experienced the fastest economic turnaround for a city in economic history. And as you've heard him already discussing with Kyle, he's run for Congress in 2014. He was a candidate for the U.S. House in the 4th District of Colorado and was also a primary candidate, which we hope he'll talk a little bit more about in 2006 for Senate in Rhode Island. Mr. Laffey, before we start talking about why You're running for office. You have a documentary called Fixing America. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you've heard from the American public about what they're experiencing in their lives and their views of politics and political leaders.
1: Yeah, the American people feel so disconnected. In 2011, I was at the Sundance Film Festival, and the guy ahead of me made the movie Margin Call, and I'm a financial guy. He made it. He wrote it in Rhode Island, and I just put it on my heart. I would make a movie i had traveled the country in 2008 with five of my six children in a car for three and a half months aimlessly with no reservation and stopping at state houses 100 national park places six major league baseball games but i knew that this would be an important thing to do and on a secular basis it's the most important thing i've actually done in my life so i put together this professional movie people and we left my house in fort collins colorado and we traveled for months at a time, interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people about a lot of things, by the way. In the movie, you see us talking about the budget deficit energy in China, communist China. But you're, to specifically answer your question, the American people, the people on the sides of the roads, whether they're educated, not educated, they feel so disconnected, which is why the subtitle of my movie, Fixing America, which is still at Amazon. Anybody can watch it. It's FixingAmericaMovie.com. You can get SteveLaffey.com to see it. But... Um, They feel disconnected. And so the subtitle of my movie is, you are not alone. Because people feel like they're alone. So for example, this may not be the most conservative thing to say, but something I really believe in. The average person on the street has $100 or so to put into a campaign. And they read where the Koch brothers have $70 million or so for a race on the right. And George Soros has $60 million putting into race. And they read this stuff and they hear this stuff. And they say to themselves, it's my bigotron. Or as Jeff walking down the street somewhere in Kentucky says to me about elected officials, we just want them to do the freaking job we put them in to do. See, most people, they want to go to job. They want to go to Little League baseball. They want elected officials to do like balance the budget, tell them that they're going to get Social Security that is going to mean something. Uh, make sure the country's safe. Make sure pharmaceutical drugs that we're having a shortage in today, like, they're not a shortage. That, that's what they want them to do. And they want to not do that. But they'd like to the help. But when they hear what's going on and all the corruption, they feel totally disconnected. So if you watch this movie, you will see people who love this country so much. They're at church bazaars outside Tennessee. And, and, and their vi- the vision of, of me seeing them every dinner still haunts me. It's really why I'm running for president. I'm really running for these people because we are now at the end of the game. The things I've talked about since publicly since 2005 consistently are actually happening. In the movie, I actually say there's a little video. Once we pass $20 trillion of publicly borrowed debt, there's really no going back. The interest rate course will be too high. We can't go back to zero. I said it in 2011. So try to find the presidential candidate who said this about China. It wouldn't become a republic. You shouldn't be trading with them in 05 and sent it in the movie. And someone who said that debt's going to get too big, that we're going to have a real problem. And, not, and, and announced it. on February 1st, I did, saying uh, 25 seconds into my announcement, about 30 days before SVB Bank goes broke, I'm running because there is a financial crisis. This is actually what I know. I can't change a light bulb. I, I don't want to drive my tractor anymore. I'm terrible at it. I fell off a ladder a couple of years ago, so I don't fix things around the house. But this stuff I know. And this is the way people need to listen. And if all I do with this
0: presidential campaign is change the very nature of the debate, it'll be successful. You know, we've got this debt ceiling fight going on um, in Washington right now that seems like the, the deadline is sort of coming pretty quickly as to when the debt limit will be breached. Um, what do you think about these negotiations? Uh, do you, uh, uh, you know, what, what do you think of the Republican proposals? What are you hoping comes out of it? Well, one, what I think about is I'm 61 years
1: old and I can't count the amount of times this has happened. It's always the same playbook. And then Janet Yellen, whoever it is Janet Yellen, says we're going to default on June 1st or afterwards when she's really not because you can actually pay the debt nearly forever. You might might have to cut something else off, but you're not going to not pay the interest on the debt. So they say things that they know are false. This is the problem in America, whether it's the good government floor is saying SVB Bank went broke because it was woke rather than a mismatching of assets and liabilities. He says it to a certain audience. People say things now that they know are demonstrably false. So one. Two, obviously, Joe Biden's plan is a disaster because there's really no plan. His plan, if you take it out 20 years, would have GDP per capita or debt to GDP be 300% of our GDP. It's not going to happen. We're at 108 roughly depending on which number you want to use. This is like a post-World War II number. And after these great crises, things went down. But there's no plan to have it go down. The Republican plan may save $400 billion a year or whatever they come up with by doing certain things. They say they'll pay $545 billion less on interest. Who knows if that's true? They, they say a lot of things. Is it better? It's certainly better. Should people on welfare try to work? They should. They're trying to work 20 hours a week? They should, Right. But the bigger problem it never is talk, never talked about. Let me give you some of the much bigger problems that would solve the debt crisis like today. One would be fixing Social Security. I have a complete plan to fix Social Security at com. It's not easy. It's hard. It's not a one-liner like the word huge, but it actually would take $61 trillion out of our liability, which is like $200 trillion today. It's the biggest line item liability we have. In, uh, and so. It's not Mike grant, it's Larry Kotlikoff, the world-renowned economist on social security at BU, who's my economic advisor on the campaign, and while we disagree on social issues in China. We agree on a lot of these things. So, so they should focus on that. Like, okay, don't even, just do whatever we do in the debt ceiling, but let's fix social security. So younger people, this is why I'm running, why, so younger people will get it. Everybody under 40, is they're not getting it. Go talk to a 40 year old, and you guys look like you qualify or younger. Go talk to him and see, go have him visit a financial planner, do a video on it, and watch the financial planner say, and by the way, I'm we're kind of not putting in social security money. for your retirement. What? People out there making 100 grand, let's say, they're putting in 6,000 plus, the employers, they're putting in $12,000 plus, and they're not going to get any? I wrote a paper about this in 1983 for professorship Shipman in economics at Brooklyn College. And I was horrified at 83 without an HP 12 c calculator, just calculating how the terrible yeah. returns were, right? So you're going to get social security folks if they just keep doing what they're doing. It's just that uh, two things will happen. They'll cut it by a third in a couple of years, several years, which they won't do. Well, they'll run inflation higher than the Kohler adjustment. They'll change that and you'll get $2,000 a month. It'll just be like getting $400 a month in real terms. See, that's what they count on. So there's a number of things like that that we should really be focused on, which my campaign is focused on, which I focused on for years, and the, and the people in Congress don't focus on. For example, on that issue, one alone, Donald Trump's position is we don't touch it. Ron DeSantis is about to announce the president's house, we're not going to touch it. Nikki Daly's position is we're going to raise the retirement age. How high? She doesn't know. How does it change the unfunded liability? She doesn't know. These are are things that, again, disqualifying things in my thing. I know how to take $61 trillion out of the unfunded liabilities of America. Larry Kotlikoff, my advisor, knows. We know. This is my background. So we need a financial expert to be the president and also someone who's not just a businessman but can put the right person in the right time to fix these things. So I don't think much of the Republican plan. Do I I think something's going to happen? Of course it is. It always always does. Am I bored by it? I'm relatively bored by the whole thing because the one-hour news cycle just continues. I mean, two months ago, we were going to fix Social Security for about, I don't know, half an hour. George Bush did it for days, I think, back in 2005. They were going to fix Social Security in six days. In six days, he gave up. So we have to change this. And that's the real problem going on. But there are far more important things. There's nothing more important than pay the debt on on the interest rate now. Don't get me wrong. But the short-term nature of everything about it, the back and forth, the back and forth, I don't know how people pay attention because I don't. I'm running for president and I'm not really paying attention. If you got some new news for me today that McCarthy smiling, says we got a blah, 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 fine. It's just not interesting in the sense of like, how do we help our young people? Because we, the older people, are the worst generation. We've taken so much from young people that now they don't really have a future. They've got sociology majors with $100,000 of debt. that can't get jobs, and they don't seem to want to fix it. No one wants to fix it. I could go on for that for an hour. But anyway, that's my answer to you. But it, is it better? It's certainly better. But with the Donald Trump run up $8 trillion of debt in four years with all the conservatives like myself, we're after Obama for $8 trillion in eight years? And where are those people now? Oh, now they want to do things about the debt ceiling. not from January 20th of 2017 to 21, they wanted to do nothing about it then. By the way, Mike Pence, see, think of all the things that happened. Mike Pence is going to run for president. When he was a congressman, what did he do? He tried to shut down the government over stuff like this. When he was vice president, what did he say? Quote, we're going for growth. What does that even mean? The growth under President Trump was 2%, 2%, 2%, negative 2%. -2%. What? We have too much debt, so we can't grow. It doesn't take a re- linear regression model to look at Reagan taking on some debt growing at four or five percent, go to the 90s and see three, and then never seeing three again. We don't have a three GDP growth number to, that we can point to.
2: You, you've already alluded to this a couple of times, but you know what we're seeing in, in Washington is almost a politics of distraction. And there's just a lot of attacking. There's a, this political game of chicken over the 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 debt ceiling right now that could have really serious consequences for for the country that you know that's just a microcosm of what's happening more broadly and just you know there's a lack of trust between the political actors that that have the power uh, to actually solve problems what would you do to actually work across political differences um and and is there anything in your experience that you can talk about perhaps from when you were mayor of cranston um, you know, to, to really get to actually solving problems, which is what the American public wants.
1: Yeah, that, that is my gift. I mean, at Morgan Keegan, for example, you could call, look up Steve Laffey on Google or whatever you use, and you can find a lot of people who don't like, you cannot find the article where I did something financially wrong or someone had a better plan. There is not an article in the United States of America. I get you to find it. I hate to sound like Gary Hart, but at least I'm talking about financial stuff. I dare you to find it. So, I can't find it. So, like uh, in in one hour, I convinced the four guys who own twenty five percent or so of the shares of Morgan Keegan to sell the firm. They were never going to sell. I presented them with overwhelming evidence in a Harvard Business School type, well, a graduate Harvard Business School playbook of how we were behind on commissions, I mean, too much commission generated out of assets on the management, and how it, to make this change to be a two billion dollar revenue firm from five hundred million we had to be under an umbrella to protect shareholders and employees and so forth. Uh, it'll be best for them. And I said to them, not best for me. I'm 38 years old. I'm the president of the firm It's the greatest deal of all time. I could be here forever. And I, it was better for that. And so in an hour I changed their mind in Cranston. I always had a majority majority of Democrats in the city council. And I'm talking about Rhode Island. If it's not the most democratic, Pro-union place. I don't know what it is. Maybe Vermont. I don't know that union. But it's really, as you know, a very left of center place. So every single Democrat voted for every one of my budgets, every one of my lawsuits, every single time. I either had to embarrass them. I had to overpower them with ideas because I brought in people around me like Jerry Barrett. I give an example. I become... Become mayor, mayor elect of the of the lowest bond rating city in the United States of America has 37 days to default on its debt. Borrowing three month m- money at tax equivalent rates of fifteen percent. And the person who has the, the short term money at Merrill Lynch doesn't want to roll it anymore. And so what do I do? First of all, I tell the state of Rhode Island that I'm gonna default on the debt if they don't pass the qualified bond act that was in Massachusetts. I go to the Speaker of the House, who I played basketball against when I was in high school. And I tell him, he has 17 people with him. It's just me. I say, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you have to do. And if you do that, I will raise taxes, cut spending, blah, blah, blah. The city will be safe. But you have to do this first. He said, okay. He did it. The power of the ideas. He's a Democrat. He didn't want me to be successful. Murphy, good guy, by the way, didn't want me to be. Really, Speaker of the House in Rhode Island is a really, really powerful thing in Rhode Island. So, you take these people on a city council. They didn't want to vote to raise taxes, then cut spending, cutting square dancing, uh, going after pensions, uh, lawsuits against crossing guards. Crossing guards? We had a four year lawsuit against crossing guards that we won. But the power of what I presented to them combined with public opinion. So, if I were president to take this issue of Social Security, you will see me on a train, a plane, and an automobile. The way Teddy Roosevelt, he was on a plane to walk because it was too early. But you will see me go around and make people vote on this until we do something else. I will not go from subject to subject to subject to subject. I keep with me at all times a legal pad with checklists on it. And when it came to Cranston, check, 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 check. And one day, for example, when the police union went crazy, because I wouldn't build a new police station right away. Because the nine-zero 0 Democratic city before me bought them some piece of land that you could not build a police station on. I rescinded the deal. They were very angry. And I told them this. The day the bond rating goes to investment grade, I will call a press conference, and build a new police station, which you sorely need. But we're not building it today. Go look it up. The day after the bond ready went to investment grade, I called the press conference, and I wish I had a video of all the grizzly old ex cops sitting there going, this son of a, are you actually doing it? And before I left office, it was completed. So that's what I bring to the table and that's what's missing. Donald Trump has no follow through on any subject at all. His attention span is not there. He thought he's not smart. He's very smart. Is he a marketing genius? He's a marketing genius. Okay. okay but he doesn't know how to follow through and get things done whether it's north korea okay. we you want to lit things right so i mean north korea is going to need three times the guy who goes rocking me threaten him and not threaten him i mean the, the thought process by the way i mean craig for example that, that again back to ron desantis he he knows it's not a territorial dispute he's smart why would he say that because he wants to kowtow to tucker carlson who's a very powerful guy, was a very powerful guy, probably still is, in the news. I sent in my six questions that they wouldn't ask me about because I don't know why. No one wants my answer. That it is it is integral to America's future that Ukraine is not part of Russia. By the way, the Russians know this. Everybody knows this. So The difference with me is that I take a topic, I explain it, and I take it all the way to the people so they understand it and get by it. And then get it passed. And if I have to work with Democrats or embarrass Democrats, or by the way, as many Republicans in creation didn't want to vote for my budgets, they all but one did. I won vote. So it was 36 to one or so over four years. So that's my track record. I present overwhelming evidence. I never let go. I bring in the press. There was a meeting one time just to tell you where I made sure that WPRO people were outside the door. And I raised my voice and I opened the window so the recorders could hear me outside. So the war true councilman knew that if she didn't vote for this suit, that we were gonna run so and so against her, I was gonna put this much money into the campaign. I hate to sit this way because it's only a city council race, but I needed that vote. But but here's the difference with me. I needed that vote to improve Cranston, Rhode Island. Not need to vote for me. Governor DeSantis this Disney publicity for what? You no. Know, it's not improving the Florida relationship with the business community. Again, okay, I'm not trying to hump right government It's probably a wonderful guy, guy. but I mean, I'm just telling you, this is what people do now,
0: and it has to stop, and I'm the only chance to make it stop. Steve, um, I think a lot of people probably remember you from your primary against Lincoln Chafee back in 2006, and, you know, that was a race that um, I think is is maybe familiar to us now, at least in terms of like, you have a, so quote unquote, establishment Republican, which was shapey and then sort of an outsider challenger, which, which was you backed by the club for growth. Um, you know, in the, you know, since that race of the last, you know, decade and a half or whatever, I guess you could maybe argue that the party has maybe moved toward where you were now, at least in terms of the sort of outsider versus insider dynamic. Although you're also talking about a lot of fiscal issues that maybe. Have have been kind of de-emphasized on the Republican side. I'm just kind of thinking about like what you know. Do you do you think that since that primary, the party has moved toward more toward where you were then, or if it is maybe maybe it hasn't, um, despite the, the the sort of rise of these kind of more outsider candidates in the party? Well, when
1: you say outsider candidates, if you're talking about people like Ms. Green in Mississippi, we're talking something vastly different. So. When we say outsider, when you refer to me in 2006, you mean a Reagan Republican whose hero is letter from Milton Friedman he keeps in the war, who never runs deficits, who has no debt, who buys American-made stuff and runs on the same issues as he's talking about today. And then he moved to today where you have Donald Trump as the former president, wildly outspending the massive corruption of the PPP program, the pay paycheck protection program which every single republican u.s senator voted for and only three republicans guy from tennessee's massey ten buck and somebody else didn't vote for so when you take that 800 billion dollars literally three years ago and you say what's the outsider insider that's just simply massive corruption that everybody knew was corrupt when they started everybody knew and i said on the radio that jp morgan friends would get better deals everybody knows a law firm with partners got $56,000 a partner and didn't lay anybody off. So the Republican party is massively more corrupt than anybody imagined. When I talked to Liddy Dole in 2005, 2006. So, so I don't think there's really any comparison. We are off the rails when it comes to spending and only when that ceiling and McCarthy comes along, where was he? He voted for all this, this, this spending craziness. You know? And so there's not much of a difference, though, between what Bush did say in Medicare Part D that I write about in my book, Primary for State. There had been a specific donut hole, let's call it, that could have been closed with a little bit of money compared to what they did, the $13 trillion that they spent on Medicare Part D. But big Republican spenders voted to do Medicare Part D. If, indeed, there was a pandemic, I generally disagree about, and took my statement at the time in April was, President of the United States needs to say that everybody goes to work. Americans go to work. That was my opinion. But even if it was the wrong opinion or whatever, the targeting of, say, unemployment or the reaction by Republicans, that as if we, it was 1880, like, we don't have welfare? Of course we do. We don't have unemployment claims that you need to beef well, up, maybe, because it's going to be higher unemployment. Okay. But they reacted as if it was 1880 and there were no programs. My party, forget about the number for a second. So I think in some cases, there's no comparison to what happened in the two thousands to what's happening today. And now I don't know what to say about the party because think about it. Again, part of the problem is just simply a celebrity show that's happening, right? So who are we electing over time? Bush, the son of a Bush president, everybody knew the name Bush, Bush right? right? My problem in running in Ohio was people thought John, John Kennedy, I mean, uh, Sorry, Kennedy, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, John Chafee was still alive. I'm not joking, okay. right? There were some people who thought they were voting for John Chafee, not Lincoln Chafee. And John Chafee was a moderate Republican senator and governor who voted for Clarence Thomas. And so Lincoln Chafee was, far left of many people. So in this case, going forward, we don't have any situation with people running, except for me, who are really going to, who are fiscal Calvin Coolidge conservative, you know? So... It's so far removed that I don't know really what to say about the Republican party. I happen to be in the party. I have no other party to go to. I don't, so, so I'm not Ross Perot with, you know, uh, going to put in 75 million bucks to do it, although I voted for him twice. So I don't know how this actually worked, but usually just before we fall off a cliff, somebody in America gets some common sense. And that's what's, what's happening now, before falling off a cliff. But it's very, very disappointing. To see people run for president, or see, or talk to reporters. This is a long interview. You guys are serious. Generally speaking, that's not what's happening. Not to put down other people, but it's three minutes, and they want you know they show me something about Biden, and they want me to attack Biden rather than say Social Security needs to be fixed. So they, so people now want the fight. I, I don't want the fight. I just have six kids, and I'm driven by the movie you spoke about. The people I met people I still meet. I'm one of these guys that if you travel with me, I just get out and go in and I could be in a gas station for 25 minutes. And that's who I am. I actually like people and and try to, I try to one by one convince them as I go. I just don't see that happening. Everything's a soundbite rather than what we're doing here today. And it's very sad. For example, by the way, just so you know where I get my news, I haven't watched Fox News in seven years. I don't watch these things. Federal Reserve sends me the money supply figures and I read The Velocity and I go to St. Louis Fed. Do I get clips? Of course I do. But to consume this kind of information all day long, i do not get Fox News, by the way. There's great people there. Griff Jenkins is a wonderful guy. You know, wonderful people probably there. Some bad people are good people and so forth. But I don't consume that news by all day long. But, 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 but nowadays versus 20 years ago, my friends do. And they come to me with crazy things. and like, why did you hear that? Oh, I was that's not true, and they're like, really? And they rely on me. I'm like, go to my substack, and I'll give you some serious news about where pharmaceutical drugs come from. It's just lacking, guys and ladies. It's just this thing is is totally off the rails. And for
2: people who don't have my background, I don't know what they do
1: staring at their phones. It's it's craziness.
2: No, it's definitely something that we are concerned about. Here is you know how can we critically consume information. Uh, given the, the structures and how news is now delivered. So we appreciate that you're actually raising some serious issues. You know, if nothing else, um, hopefully, ra- you know, getting people's attention um, to really pay attention to especially uh, the deficit spending um, and, and the debt, um, as well as what we can actually do about it. So thank you so much for, for joining us and, and taking the time to um, share your ideas. And we wish you all the luck on the, on the campaign trail.
1: Thank you for having me. It's all at stevelaffey.com. There's hundreds of hours of stuff rather than just giving me money. And I appreciate what you guys do. It's a very serious place. So uh, hopefully if we can do this again I'll come down your way at some point. But I, I do appreciate everything everything you guys are doing to make this serious. That's what really has to happen. It's, we have to try to be a serious company. Thanks, Steve. God bless. Thank you so much.
2: Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics Is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong-Wigley. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Faze. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at Center Number 4 Politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time,